0: The messy series that we're in is called Spiritual Warfare. And when we talk about spiritual warfare, we may think about our society around us and some of the things that are going on that are contrary to God's Word, or we may think about people whose lifestyles are sinful and rebellious against God. But we learned that, last Sunday, we learned that our struggle in spiritual warfare is not against people, but against evil spiritual forces. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so behind the things that we see in our nation, behind the things that we see in individual people's lives, are evil spiritual forces that we are warring against. And we battle those forces with not guns or swords or anything. We battle those with prayer and the truth of God's Word. And yet sometimes we, we see spiritual warfare as being exclusively external to ourselves. It's something outside of us, when in reality, each of us fights spiritual battles within ourselves. And that's what we're going to talk about today. My message is entitled, The War Within. In the middle of your bulletin, there's a white page. I'd encourage you to Pull it out on the white pages, the outline of the message with the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. Each of us engages in this spiritual warfare inside within our own minds and with our own hearts. James 1.14 it, puts it this way, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire." And enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so, James describes this battle as being tempted by our own evil desires. And when we give in to that desire, we sin. And if a person doesn't repent, if they keep on sinning, the ultimate result is eternal death. Now, of course, the devil has a hand in temptation, he entices us, he plays upon our own sinful nature on these desires that we have within us. And yet we need to learn to win this war within. Whether we win or lose the war within impacts, first of all, our own lives. It also impacts the lives of those around us. It impacts our relationships. It impacts our families. It impacts our church. It impacts our city. And how do we win the war within? We win the war within by aligning our choices with God's will. We lose the battle by aligning our choices with what the devil wants us to do, with the devil's will. And those two are always diametrically opposed. And so as we repeatedly win the war within, then we position ourselves to win the battle without to have a positive influence on our society, to have a positive influence on our families, on the people that we know, the people that we have influence over. And if we repeatedly lose the war within, then we lose God's blessing on our own lives, and we actually are leading others away from God that are around us. And so those who are winning the war within are not going to blend in with the world. They're going to stand out as a light shines in the darkness. And those who lose the war within are going to blend in with the world. You're not going to be able to tell any difference, and they're going to have no impact for God in our society. So if you're winning the war within, everybody you know is going to realize that you are very different, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so today we want to learn more about winning the war within. We're going to be looking at James chapter 4, and James starts off with talking about arguments and what leads to arguments. He tells us that selfish desires lead to arguments. Verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so James begins by telling us that what happens inside of us has an influence, has an effect on our relationships. Here God's word is telling us that an internal battle, this war within, causes external arguments, causes external quarrels. Now the words in the Greek here that are are used for fights and quarrels and for battle refer to armed conflicts with weapons. And so we're seeing that these internal desires, this internal battle leads to external conflict with the people that we know, perhaps the people that we even love. And these internal desires mentioned here are evil, selfish desires. And when you get two people together with self-centered, selfish desires, what is the result going to be? Two heads butting, the result is gonna be arguments and quarrels and fights. So let's dig a little deeper to better understand where these desires come from. James is going to tell us that prayerlessness actually results in unmet needs that result in these fights and quarrels. Verse 2, you desire and do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And so again, James is telling us that these selfish desires inside lead to huge problems in our relationships. Desiring something that somebody else has is a sin of coveting. It's one of the Ten Commandments, do not covet. And if you want something badly enough that somebody else has, you're going to fight to get it. You're going to quarrel with them to try to get what you want. You may even kill to get it. Now, most commentaries say, well, James is just exaggerating. He really means you may hate somebody, you know, if you don't agree with them. And that's certainly true. But does hatred ever lead to murder? Yeah. Do you get mad enough at somebody? It happens sometimes. Jesus said that if you have hatred in your heart to somebody else, God considers that murder. The sin of murder in your heart by hating somebody else. And so rather than fighting other people to get what we need, James says we should ask God to meet our needs. And yet many people do not even ask God. They'd rather fight. They'd rather quarrel to get, try to get what they want rather than asking God. And if you don't ask God, you're not going to receive any answers from God either. And so when we have a problem, we need to pray. But sometimes people pray and their prayers aren't answered. James tells us why. Selfish prayers don't get answered. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. May spend what you get on your pleasures. So the Greek word for pleasures in this verse and the Greek word for desires in verse 1 is the same word. These evil desires and praying for your own Pleasures or evil desires, selfish desires is the same word. Some people pray for the things they want, but the prayers don't get answered. And God's word here is saying if you pray with the motive of pleasing yourself, God's not going to answer your prayers. And I believe that is one of the biggest reasons that people's prayers don't get answered. You know, for a lot of people, that's what prayer is all about, isn't it? Praying for what I want praying to some people consider the big Santa Claus in the sky and asking him for a gift. You know, I'd like this. Today, will you please give it to me? And when we pray for what we want, guess what happens? We don't get many answers to our prayers. And then what happens? Well, people get mad at God. The big Santa Claus didn't give me what I want. So, I'm not going to believe in him. Prayer is praying not for what we want. Prayer is for praying for what God wants. Not to please our own selfish desires, but to pray according to God's will. Pray according to what Jesus would have for us. In fact, we are supposed to pray in Jesus' name. Most of us at the end of our prayers will say in Jesus' name, amen. Now what does that mean? It means that we're asking or we should be asking for the things that Jesus would want. We should be asking for the things that he desires for us, that he desires to do in the world, that he desires to see accomplished in other people's lives and in our lives. And those are the kind of prayers that God answers. But as James tells us, if we pray and ask with wrong motives, just for ourselves, God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. And so let's think for a minute about those that we've recently had quarrels or arguments with. Could be somebody in your family, could be somebody in the church, could be somebody at work, could be somewhere Somebody somewhere else that you have a relationship with. And God's word tells us that a major reason for arguments, a major reason for conflicts is trying to get something that you desire from the other person. Rather than fighting and arguing with somebody else to get what you want from them or to stop them from doing something you don't want them to do, what should we be doing? We should be praying. Asking God to meet that need. We're often quicker to argue, to quarrel, than to pray. And make sure that when we pray that our motives are right. Our desires should be for the things that God's word has for us, not simply things to please ourselves. So the bottom line is replace arguing with prayer and we'll win the war within and have better relationships with people around us. Next to win the war within, James tells us to not be friends with the world. Verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity toward God, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And so where do our selfish desires that we have for our own pleasures, where do they come from? Well, they come from the world. Now, the world is not the planet Earth in the Bible, the world refers to the sinful culture, the sinful society that we see around us, the people that are going in a direction away from God. And if you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Conversely, if you are a friend of God, then you are an enemy of the world. Now, The verse starts by saying, you adulterous people, what is he talking about here? Well, I think James is referring to spiritual adultery if we look at the whole passage in context. It's mentioned many times in the Old Testament. Spiritual adultery is simply being a friend of the world. It's participating in the sinful activities of Jesus Christ, uh, sinful activities of the world rather than serving Jesus Christ. Now, we are to be, in essence, the Bible tells us that the church or believers are part of the bride of Christ. And we are to be faithful to the one that we've been given to, that we've given ourselves to. The Bible speaks of it almost, well, as a marriage. And if we become friends with somebody else, if we become friends with the world, God considers that spiritual adultery. And so rather than being friends with the world, we must be faithful to God alone Verse 5, do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? You see, each person has a spirit that God has placed within them. And God created human beings to have fellowship with, to have a relationship with, and God desires you to have a relationship with, with him alone. The Bible teaches that God is a jealous God. He desires and longs for each person to be faithful to him. And when we give in to sin, the sin of the world, we become unfaithful to God. And so God desires purity in our relationship with him. Faithfulness begins with being humble and receiving the grace of God. Verse 6, but he, speaking of God, gives more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. What is pride like? Well, pride is headstrong. Pride is rebellious. Pride says I can do whatever I want. Pride says I'm free to choose. Whatever I desire, pride desires to follow its own ways. It seeks to follow the ways of the world. And God opposes the proud. Now, God is the most powerful person in the universe, So do we want God opposing us? That is not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. It means that God is going to thwart the plans. He's going to thwart the desires of the proud. God is going to fight against the proud. He's going to cause their plans to fail. On the other hand, God gives grace to the humble. Those who submit their wills to God's will. Who choose not to go their own way. Or the way of the world, but God's way. So how do we know if we are a friend of the world? How do we know if we're falling into that trap? You're a friend of the world if you fit in with everybody else around you. If nobody can see any difference between you and all the other people in the world, you're a friend of the world. You're a friend of the world if others don't know that you're a Christian. If you're a secret agent Christian. Don't want anybody to know it's me and Jesus, but it's secret. Not going to tell anybody. You're a friend of the world if you're not speaking the truth of God's word to those around you. Uh, People say things that are contrary to God's word and you don't want to cause a conflict. You don't want to say anything. You keep your lips quiet. You know, today, there's a quick way to seeing if somebody's a friend of God or a friend of the world. That's a new way. That's by looking at somebody's Facebook page. Could people tell from looking at your Facebook page that you're a Christian? Would they know which church you go to? Could they tell where you stand with God's word on critical issues facing the country? Oh, you might say, well, I don't want to be too preachy. I might lose some of my Facebook friends. Be severe persecution. God's word calls us to be a witness. And if you're a witness for Jesus, guess what? You are going to lose some worldly friends. Some people aren't going to like it. And so we have some of the greatest opportunities in history to be a witness for Jesus. I mean, the easiest, most non confrontational ways that have ever existed. You don't have to go knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. I mean, nothing wrong with that. All you have to do is post something on a Facebook page. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to be on Facebook, but there are the easiest ways that we've ever had to take a stand for Jesus, and yet many Christians are not taking advantage of it or are even posting things contrary to what they say they believe on their pages. And so you win the battle within by choosing to be faithful to God in every aspect of your life and not be friends with the world. In other words, we submit to God and resist the devil. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, how many people like to hear the word submit? Submit. So there's no hands, no hands at all. Submit is not a word we like to hear, but it's how we grow as a believer. It's how we win the war within. To submit to God is to say no to what I want to do. It's to say yes to what God wants me to do. That's what submitting to God is. Submitting to God is the very first step in winning the war within. And once we choose to submit our lives to God, then we can resist the devil. And when we resist the devil, he's going to flee from us. To resist the devil is to say, first of all, yes to God, and then no to the temptations that play upon our evil, selfish desires. Draw near to God in prayer. Draw near to God in his word. And God's promise to us is that he's going to draw near to you. I want God close to me. Having God close to you is a good thing. Having God close to you brings his blessing into your life. Submitting to God, humbling ourselves to Him. Now, submitting to God involves repenting of being double-minded. Verse 8, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. So in verse 4, James spoke of you adulterous people. Here he's referring to you sinners. Now, who is James writing to? Is he writing to unbelievers? No, he's writing, you see, in James chapter 1, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's seeking to wake them up to the fact that they may be losing the war within. In this verse, we want to look at this phrase. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded What does it mean to be double-minded? To be double-minded is is trying to have it both ways. I want to be a friend of God, and I I kind of want to be a friend of the world too. I I want to have it both ways at the very same time. That's to be double-minded. A double-minded person, he wants God's blessing, but he doesn't want to give up the worldly ways in his life. He doesn't want to give up his worldly friends. And James is telling us that to be double-minded is sin. And we need to repent of that and remove all the worldly ways from our lives. Is this a small thing? No, it's, it's huge because to be double-minded is to lose the battle. And we see this illustrated throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament, They worshipped the Lord God of Israel, but they also wanted to worship their idols on the side because all the other nations were doing it and maybe it would bring the right rain and their harvest would be better. And so they rarely stopped worshipping God. They added to it. They were double-minded. Did God like that? No. He brought judgment. God is a jealous God. We are to worship God him alone. Now, James doesn't mince words, does he? Grieve, mourn, and wail over the sin of being double-minded and asked for God's forgiveness. Repentance is turning away from what God says is wrong and turning to God, being sorrowful, changing our minds, And committing ourselves to God's way. Repentance means humbling ourselves to receive God's help. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It takes humility to repent, doesn't it? Because repenting is admitting that you were wrong and seeking God's help to change. It takes humility to give up things you like to do. It takes humility to give up certain pleasures in life you may have enjoyed for a long time because God is now showing you that they're worldly. But when we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we submit to His Word, this verse has a promise. The promise is that God will lift you up. That's a good thing. I want God to lift me up. I want God to lift you up. That's a wonderful thing. He's going to bless your life. He's going to use you in a great way to influence a dark society as his witness. We submit to God. We resist the devil to win the war within. Now, let's come back to this concept of double-mindedness once again, because I believe it's one of the main reasons That believers in America have so little power in their lives that our society is going on the wrong trajectory. It's this problem of double-mindedness. And double-mindedness is a result of people compartmentalizing their lives. And what that means is, I say, I'm going to give this part to God, and I'm going to keep this part for myself. The part I have for myself, I'm going to do as I please, and I'm going to give one part to God, but... The rest is mine. And that's being double-minded. God wants his children to be single-minded. To be single-minded for God is to only say and do things that advance the kingdom of God. And so every decision, every action, every hour that you spend in life, you should ask yourself the question, is this going to advance the kingdom of God? If the answer is no, you don't do it. If the answer is yes, then you do it. You say, well, aren't there a lot of things that... No, there are no neutral activities in life. If something is not advancing God's kingdom, it's advancing the devil's schemes. God says in his word, seek first the kingdom of God. In everything we do, do all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are things that we all do, ways that we spend life's precious time on that are not advancing the kingdom of God. And so to win the war within, we must eliminate them and spend our time, or spend our resources, spend our words, spend our actions on things that advance the kingdom of God. And we're talking about advancing the kingdom of God in our families. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of God at work, advancing the kingdom of God in our neighborhood, advancing the kingdom of God In every aspect of our lives, God wants to use you as a witness. Every day, every hour, that you are alive and breathing. And so to win the war within, we must erase from our lives the thought, I want to do this, and so I'm going to do it. We must replace that thought with the words of Jesus as he faced the cross. He prayed and he said to God, not my will, but yours be done. And that should be our heart's cry. To win the war within, we say, not my will, not my desires, not what I want to do, but God, what you want me to do. That's what I desire to do in my life. And as we submit to God's will, we win the war within. And as we win the war within, we become more powerful in the war without We can't win the war without, outside of us, until we win repeatedly the war within. And so this morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, here's how to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the first step to winning the battle within. Submitting that you've sinned, that's humbling yourself, that's repenting, saying, I've sinned, I've done wrong things. Secondly, believing in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven, and then committing yourself to following him and seeking his kingdom first in your life. So I'd like to ask you to bow your head right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer. If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, I'd encourage you to pray along with me, or you may want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Say something like this. Today, Father, I... Admit that I've sinned. I've been just going along with the ways of the world. Doing the things that everybody else does. Contrary to what your word says. Please forgive me. I turn away from that. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. Forgive me. Come into my life. I commit myself to following you and your ways seeking first your kingdom each and every day of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.